I want to read. We're studying the book of Isaiah together on Sunday mornings. And uh, tonight I'm going to actually go back to chapter 41, bring you a message on how to help in the work of the Lord. And I hope you'll be back in the evening service tonight. But I want you to look in chapter number 42, beginning at chapter 40. Uh, the Lord is, is revealing himself as the Savior of Israel, but also the Savior of the whole world. Some of the greatest passages of scriptures are yet ahead of us in this book of Isaiah. I mean classics. Isaiah, of all the Old Testament books, is quoted more than, in the New Testament than any other book. And there are so many reasons for that. Because of Bible prophecy in regard to the coming of our Lord, the Lord, his, his ministry, suffering his death, and his return, and the, and the millennial reign of Christ. But it's a tremendous testimony book. But look in chapter number 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not, shall, uh, he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he hath set judgment in the earth. And the owls shall wait for his law. Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out. He that spreadeth forth the earth and that which uh, cometh out of it. He that giveth bread unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. Praise God. I'm glad he's our God. Amen. I'm glad he stretched forth the heaven and put all the stars and the galaxies and all that's there. I'm glad that even that God who's able to do all that is also able to take care of us. And the Bible said he giveth all the people bread. Give us bread. Thank God for his blessing. But then the spiritual part that he calls us to walk in the spirit. Notice verse 6. I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and uphold thy, thy hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people and for a light of the Gentiles to open blind eyes and to bring out of prison, uh, uh, bring the prisoner, excuse me, and to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Now, in connection with that, hold your place there. That's what I'm going to preach from. But go over a little bit further in the book of Isaiah and look at chapter number 49 and verse 6. This servant, behold my servant, He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming. And he says in chapter 49 and verse 6, And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the, uh, the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be salvation unto the end of the earth. Now, will you hold your place in Isaiah 42, but will you turn with me to the book of Philippians? In the New Testament, find the book of Philippians. And I, I want us to look together in chapter number two in Philippians. He said, behold my servant. He said, he'll, be, uh, he'll come, he'll be a covenant for my people. He'll be a light for the Gentiles. He'll open blind eyes. He'll set at liberty those who are in prison. And then he said he'll bring salvation. And then in chapter number two of the book of Philippians, listen to this wonderful passage of scripture beginning at verse number five, Philippians two, verse five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation 
and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you bow with me for prayer? Father, I want to thank you now for your mercy and grace, and I pray, God, the Holy Ghost, our Father, will give me anointing. Thank you for the wonderful singing this morning, the specials, Sister Norman and Lord Brother Calvin, and God, the choir this morning. Thank you, Lord, for touching them and the congregation singing, Brother Ricky. Lord, I thank you for this time together, and I pray now for the Holy Ghost of God to move. In the strong name of Jesus, I rebuke every devil and every demon. I plead the blood over this place. Lord, I pray that not one man or woman or boy or girl would leave this building this morning not knowing that their name's written in the Lamb's book of life, that their home is in heaven. I pray, God, that your convicting power would come. I confess before you, Lord, there's no way I could do anything, but God, you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we're able to think. God, I want to present my body as best I know this morning as a living sacrifice. God, speak through me now, and I'll thank you and praise you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. He's called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's called the bright morning star. He's called, he's called the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. He, he is called uh, Emmanuel, God with us. And all those mighty titles given to our Lord. But as I came across this passage of Scripture a few weeks ago as I was reading ahead and praying and, and looking at the passage of Scripture, there's something about that title, servant, that just moved on my heart. When I think about his great majesty, how that he spoke this world in existence. The Bible said in the gospel of John that, that he's the creator of all things. Without him was not anything made that was made. He was beginning with God and he, he was God and he spoke everything to existence. But the Bible says that when he came and Isaiah says that when he came, he came as a servant. Boy, there's something just moves my heart to think of, of the monarch of heaven the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that he would come and come down in the book of Philippians I just read to you, who was with God. He was equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a man and the fashion of a man and was in the form of a servant. I mean, he came as a servant. Why would the Lord Jesus Christ do that? Why would he come down and be that for us? Let me just suggest some things to you this morning about this matter of being a servant. Our Lord is identified in here as being a servant. A servant is somebody who's chosen by others for a particular task that they feel like maybe they're especially qualified for. And you know what? God says in this passage of Scripture, I have ordained him. I have chosen him. I have elected him. You know why? Because he is uniquely qualified to do what he came for. By that I mean this. There's nobody else. Or oh, there's a song that we used to sing about uh, just suppose God had looked through heaven and there was nobody to come. Well, the truth of the matter was there was nobody else in heaven that could do that. There's nobody else in the earth that could do that. Nobody else below the earth that could do that. There's no other person, no other, no other being, no other angel that could ever do what God the Father chose his own son to do. And that was to come to give his life a ransom. There's only one Savior. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And his, he chose him. 
him to be that servant, to come and do that task because he was uniquely qualified. He was the only one who possibly could do that. And, and here's, here's an amazing thing. When I think about that term servant, not only is it somebody who's chosen for a particular office, but it is somebody who is in subordination or in humiliation to another. And that's what so moved my heart, that he's, he's, he's God, and he's the Prince of Peace, and he's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he, he came, the Bible said, and humbled himself. He came and humbled himself. I want you to look at a couple of scriptures. Notice what it says in the book of 2 Corinthians. Turn to the book of 2 Corinthians and, and maybe write this reference down and look at it a little bit later if you don't turn to it. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want to read to you verse number 9. Notice what it says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He became a servant. He was rich on the whole universe, everything. But he humbled himself and he subordinated himself and he humiliated himself, humbled himself that he might bear our sin. He was rich, but he gave all of that so we could be made rich. He made himself of no reputation. And and he said in Luke chapter 22 and verse 7, he said, I'm come among you to be servant. He said in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, he said, I did not come to be ministered unto, but to minister. He came to be a servant. And that ought to just move you this morning. That ought to just blow your mind that he came and and willingly humbled himself and willingly humiliated himself and willingly subordinated himself to God the Father's plan that he might be what we could not ever be a sacrifice for sin. And he came to do that. This, a servant is somebody who's not only chosen for a particular task or somebody that is, is in a humble position or a place of subordination, but it is somebody, my dear friend, as we think about it, who is, has the trust of the one who's chosen him. If you're going to be a servant and you're going to be able to go in and out among the family and you've got a particular task, Somebody's got to have confidence in you. Somebody's got to trust you. And, and, and when you, you remember the story of Joseph, how that he was taken as a slave, as a servant in the land of Egypt. And as Pharaoh watched him and all the circumstances that happened in his life, that Pharaoh made him the second in command and put him in charge of all the riches of Egypt. And here the Lord Jesus Christ has come. And God the Father has entrusted to him, the Bible said in the book of Colossians, all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says in him was all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him was grace more abundant. In him was salvation full and free to every person. And God invested in Christ. And in Christ, he he entrusted him with all the riches of God's grace. He's his servant. Christ is the servant of the Lord. But when I think about a servant, and when you think about a servant primarily, you think about one who comes to do very difficult task, or one who's come to, to do something that's very hard to do. We think about him as a burden bearer. 
And so it was with Christ. He humbled himself to become a great laborer. He said in Matthew chapter 16 to Simon Peter, thou art Simon, and upon this rock, meaning himself, I will build my church. He has the great labor of building the the body of Christ. But before any of that took place, he bore many other burdens. I, I was thinking this morning as I was praying early about the burdens that he bore. He bore the burden of rejection. I mean, he came, humbled himself, and made in the likeness of man. And the Bible says that when we did see him, we esteemed him smitten of God and afflicted. There was no beauty that we should behold him. And when the Son of God, who created everything, came to this world, made in the likeness of men, men spit in his face and pulled out his beard and beat him with a rod and beat him with a cat of nine tails and buffeted him with their hands. And he'd suffered all that. He, he bore rejection. He bore all of that for us. Now, he's, he's omniscient. means he knows everything from the beginning to the end. He knew there'd be a time that they'd pull the beard from his face. He knew there was a time that he'd have to suffer the heartache of rejection and betrayal by his own disciples. He knew there was a time that the the religious crowd of that day would cry, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He bore all of that As as a servant of God. He came to do it willingly and he bore all that. But beyond that burden of the rejection and humiliation, he came to bear our own sins in his body. What a servant to bear my sin and your sin. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter that all the sin of all the ages was laid on him. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And then I, 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 that picture that so is in, in, ingrained in my heart and in my spirit. As he bore that cross up Calvary's mountain, he'd been beat with a cat of nine tails, been through that mock trial through the night. His body was boot, beaten and bruised and battered. And the Bible said his visage or his, his physical appearance was so marred, you didn't hardly recognize him as a human being. Maybe you have seen people who have traumatic experience of a car wreck or something and their face so swells, their eyes are closed and their, their face is puffy and swollen. That's what Jesus looked like. Hardly recognizable as a human being. They so treated him. But yet there at that point, after all that rejection and all of that physical torment, the Bible said God laid on him the sins of all the world. And I think that's what he prayed about in the Garden of Eden. When he, in the Garden of Gethsemane, rather, when he prayed, he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He's not talking about all the physical suffering. He's talking about the shame of sin being put on him. And he bore that. But the picture that so is indelible in my heart and mind it's when he's carrying the cross. And I remember that old song you used to hear George Beverly Shea sing about that song. And he says, the cross was so heavy that he fell beneath the load. He bore that cross. I don't know if you can imagine this or not, but he who stood on nothing in eternity past and spoke worlds into existence and from the tip of his fingers flipped out the stars, fashioned this earth, created all the vegetable life, all the human life, created everything that you see and enjoy. There he lays in a humble mess, beaten, battered, bruised, with the weight of the world on his shoulders, with the sin of all the ages on him, and the weight of that cross pressing him to the ground. And he said, Behold my servant. Behold him. Look at him. Look at him. 
look on the Lord Jesus Christ. John saw it ahead of time, and he stood by the river Jordan and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This servant was a burden bearer. He bore all of our sin. He bore the reproach of, 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 all, of his own nature, how men rejected him. And I'll say this to you. A true servant never seeks his own glory, but the glory of the one who sent him. Many, many scriptures I could share with you on that. I'm not going to take time to do that. But if you look through the scriptures, you'll hear what Jesus said. Jesus said, I didn't come to speak of myself, but the, what my father wants me to say, that's what I'm going to say. He says, I've come to glorify him and to magnify him and to point you to the father. He came to please the father in everything that he did. And the Bible says that before eternity, that he was daily the delight of the father. And he writes in Psalms 40 and he said, it is, he said, I delight to do thy will, O Lord. And the vital of the book it is written. He came to, he delighted in doing that. And here's what, here's something blew your mind. He delighted to do that. He wanted to do that. He delighted to suffer for my sin and for your sin. He delighted to do that. It's why he came and he was, he was glad to do it. He didn't do it reluctantly, but he did it willingly. And he did it all for the glory of his father. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree and he died. And he faithfully did everything that God the father had called him to do. Look in Isaiah chapter 53, if you will, please look ahead in that passage of scripture. What a wonderful thing to think of our great Lord Jesus Christ and how he suffered for us. He became a servant for us. Notice what it says in chapter 53, verse 1. I'll deal with this in detail when I get to it, but I want to read this to you. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness. When we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone into his own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And we made, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in, in his death because he'd done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and he put and hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make thy soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his day. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Here's the reason that that Savior, that's the creator of this world, came in a human form and bore our sins and was subjected to humiliation and to that of being a servant. Because he's looking down the road. 
He shall see the travail of his soul. Will you turn with me, please, to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This faithful servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, why is it that he could endure the, uh, the suffering? Why is it? It tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter number 12. I've just read to you that he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. But now look here, if you will, please, in chapter number 12 of the book of Hebrews and look at verse number two. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why is it that he was willing to come and be a servant? Because he's looking beyond the cross. He's looking beyond the grave. He's looking to where he sees the travail of his soul, where he sees that word travail is a birth process. A woman who's given birth is going through that travail of birth. And he's looking down. He said, I've come to do thy will. In the vital book it's written, he came to suffer and bleed and die. He came to give his life a ransom. But he's looking beyond Calvary. He's looking beyond the cross. And he's looking down to where he sees that. And for the joy that was set before him. Oh, you say, Brother Billy, what is the joy that was set before him? Oh, it was the joy of redemption of souls. It was for every boy and every girl who ever humbled theirself and bowed before him in a Sunday school class or in a vacation Bible school or in a Christian camp somewhere and said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. And he had the joy of saying, I've paid your sin debt. It's already paid. Heaven is your home and you'll be with me for all eternity. For every derelict, for every drunk, for every prostitute, for every good moral person, for every person in anybody's church, in anybody's tent meeting, in anybody's revival, in any person who's ever at home by their cell, by their bed, or in the back of a field somewhere, said, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. And Jesus said, I'm glad I came to Calvary. I'm glad I bore your sin. I'm glad to say to you, his sin's already been paid. And he sees the travail of his soul down the road. He sees men and women, boys and girls transformed and bought for all eternity. He sees them around the throne for all eternity, shouting, hallelujah, glory, praise God, and walking on the street of gold, as Brother Randy and I talked about this morning, rejoicing. He sees all of that, and he knows it's real. Thank God that's why he did that. That's why he came and suffered and bled and died. He saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied and thanked God for it. Oh, listen, you say, Brother Billy, what about this wonderful passage of Scripture? He said, Behold my servant, behold him. Now, that word's used over and over again many times in the Word of God. It's not a casual glance. It's not just a passing look. It's not like seeing a fleeting star. It's just not looking across, you know, not seeing anything in general. It has to do with to set your affections on, to set your eyes on, and to absorb all the beauty of my servant. He's not pointing in humiliation. He's not pointing in, 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 in some sort of derogatory way. But he said, I want you to look at him. He said, I'm so proud of my boy. I want you to see him as he bears the sin of all the world. I want you to see him as he says, not my will, but thine be done. See him when he's on that cross, when he cries, it is finished. Behold my servant. Look at him. See what he's done. My dear friend, listen. He's come. Behold him. Behold how he loved you. Think about the place he left from. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. The place he left from. 
Think about the price he paid for you to be saved. And think about the pardon that he's already given you or that he offers you today. My dear friend, behold the servant of the Lord. And for you and I who are saved, we ought to behold the servant in example. He says to his disciples, they said, which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Which one get to sit on right hand? And he said, I'll tell you something. He said, whoever wants to be the greatest in the kingdom has to be the servant of all. Follow his example. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ, who being equal with God, thought it not right to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, being found in fashion as man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Look at him in his servanthood and use him for an example. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to be a servant of all.